previously on Wheeze Talking Wheeze to Thee. Yeah, yeah, this will be our best artist since Blue. Yeah, that was kind of the mental exercise that we were going for. Yeah. And boy, was it kind of tough. Yeah, but fun. Oh, so fun. My number five, Granddaddy. Little band called Dispatch. My number four band, Elbow. Rise Against. So my number three band. You're killing me, you're killing me. Who is it? Little band called The National. Hit it, Wilson. This is Chris. And this is Chris. And we's talking we's to thee. Okay, my number three. We're really starting to get into the, the meaty nuggets of my fundamental childhood here. Oh, oh, oh. Um, this so, is nice. So this is a band that I learned about very early on in their career. When I learned about them, they only had two records. That's not to say that they have, you know, they only have five now, technically six, because they did a, a double header. But this is a group that I knew at their beginning and have continued to follow throughout their entire career. This is the only band on the list that I knew basically from their beginning and Every time a record came out, I was eager to get that record. It's funny how that really affects your relationship with the band. Absolutely. When you feel like you're there from the ground floor, it changes everything. And my yeah. next band is that for me, so I'm excited. Cool. Awesome. So this is a little group called Manchester Orchestra. Oh, great. Yeah. Um, huge fan, huge fan of these guys. Funny enough, they are from the suburbs of Atlanta, specifically Marietta, if I'm not mistaken. Marietta is two towns over from where I grew up. So this band literally started within 20 miles of where I was raised. So they were like hanging out within the vicinity of where I was. And so to, to listen to these guys and know that like, wow, these are like a real band. These are real CDs. And being an aspiring musician at the time, I'm like, man, maybe somebody can come out of the suburbs of Atlanta and just be really, really amazing. The two main guys who are, are responsible for creating the music in this band, Andy Hull, the lead singer, rhythm guitarist, and uh, piano player, as well as Robert McDowell, who is the, the lead guitarist and plays a lot of keys and does backing vocals. These two are... Bobby McD, they call him. <laughs> That's good. Bobby McD. So, uh, Andy Hull, uh, Robert McDowell, two of the masterminds behind these incredibly powerful, emotional songs. The thing that I absolutely love about this group is technically they have five records. Every record is unique within its own right. There's not a single thing. And I noticed this probably maybe six or seven years ago when I was going through Shuffle and listening to all their stuff. You can tell exactly what record that track is off of. Just from sonically, the emotion, just the feel, the way they're drumming, everything about it, it's totally, totally different. And I have read multiple times in articles, that's something they strive for. They really try to, they're trying to reinvent their wheel. They're trying to be a, a relatively new band every time they play together. Do they all still sound like the band though? Yes. Okay. And that's what makes it so good. They're not completely abandoning their roots but they are finding new ways to focus their musical energy and i think it's absolutely amazing my first introduction to this band was in 2009 when my best friend monica lee gave me their second record monica lee winsky no jesus you uh, monica- i got nothing else to do i'm <laughs> yeah. just in here listening so yeah. love- cracking wise i yeah. swear i'm listening no i know you are uh one of my good friends monica her sister worked for sony music and always had tons of cds and swag to give away uh, and monica said hey i've been listening to this new band manchester orchestra this is their their new record mean everything to nothing um and so i started listening to it and this was really my first delve into uh, emo music. Now, this is not an emo band, but this record is about as emo as you can possibly get, but not in a, a screamy or 
Why me? Yeah, I feel bad saying that, but like most emo music does not appeal to me. Sure. I don't I don't like whining, but the source material for everything that every song is about in the album Mean Everything to Nothing will bring you to tears. Everything from friends who were molested by their father as a kid to uh, someone's child dying to someone's father dying. I mean, there's just a lot of very powerful emotions in this record and every time i listen to it it is just it brings me back and it's for this emotional rawness that i chose their song my friend marcus which is track eight off their 2009 album mean everything to nothing Yeah, that wasn't your Weezer choice. <laughs> no, just wait. Oh, I, wow! So because that's I, still pretty Weezer. Exactly. So this is probably the most Weezery band I can think of. Probably because they really rely on that kind of, um, I guess, kind of like poppy melodic hook, but still like raw and emotional when yeah. you need to be. Um, we'll see what you say about the next song, which is a total departure. Still sounds like the same group, mainly because Andy Hull's voice is so unique. Right. Um, so that's kind of always like been the, the steadfast thing is like his his songwriting and lyrics and, and his just his voice. But they always kind of keep the same instrumentation, but they really know when to to give it the overdrive and when to pull back and yeah. just like be totally quiet. Um and I choose I chose two relatively rocky songs, if you will. Yeah. Um so you don't get the full gambit, but if if any of this appeals to you, I highly recommend checking out all five of their records. It's a it's a whirlwind and a roller coaster of just really awesome stuff. And that's one of my biggest praises for the group is that they can be so versatile and and everything really, really sounds cool. You know what's funny is the influence that I hear most on that is two nineties indie rock bands, Built to Spill and Modest Mouse. Oh man. Like if you listen to like pre- Good news for people who love bad news. Modest yeah, Mouse, like pre-famous Modest Mouse, like mm-hmm. that. Well, like not necessarily it. sonically, but vocal delivery, the nature of the phrasing, and the nature of the music, very much like their uh, Moon in Antarctica record, uh, building nothing out of something. Like some of their great records, like right on. I yeah. have to go back because I usually because you don't like them. I, I actively dislike them. Yeah. So it's funny when I heard but this. Maybe I, was I like, haven't. This heard is it. so Modest Mousy. I so, haven't heard enough of the good stuff. I, I think guess. you would like early Modest Mouse. I could point you in the right direction there. Yeah. Uh, spoiler: They are not on my list, but like they're guide a band me, I've listened to a lot. Guide me. <laughs> But yeah, I did not expect these guys to sound like this, uh, and I really like that. Cool, a lot. 
awesome. Because I heard them on that Comedy Bang Bang episode, right. and the music they played there sounded nothing like this. I know. Very different. They went very, very melodic, very acoustic in the newest record, which cool. is the two songs they played on that episode. Gotcha. That I and I love those about. songs. Yeah. And I, th- I did listen to them again, like uh, those songs. I thought, of, I thought about choosing a song off that record to be yeah. a little different, um, especially because I think the song The Gold, which they perform in yes. that show as well as that, that's the first track off the new record that just came out. I shouldn't say just uh, 2017 at this point. That's probably one of their most listenable songs. Funny enough, that song is now their highest played song on Spotify. The Gold. Off their newest record. It's yeah. like, it's it's cool to see, you know. Hopefully they're growing and, and getting bigger. And I biggest is like 37 million. Right on. Which is not huge by any means. Right. Um, that's that's more sweet, more listens than any band I've ever been in. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> more listens than we get. Yeah, exactly. Um, so really cool thing that this band actually did, uh, and by this band I mean Andy Hull and Robert McDowell, the two kind of masterminds and songwriters of this group. They wrote and performed the entire soundtrack for the 2016 film Swiss Army Man, starring Daniel Radcliffe oh and God. Paul Dano. Paul Dano. Uh, have you seen this movie? No, but I, I'm aware. Of you it. should. Uh, yeah, it's a, a really wacky, crazy movie. Yeah. But the entire soundtrack is completely vocals. And many of the trackings have upwards of 150 vocal tracks laid Jeez. over each other. Have you and listened to just the soundtrack? No. Okay. But I remember hearing it in the song, or hearing it in the movie, and being like, oh, this is cool. And then I never knew. And then researching for this episode, I found that. I was that like, was I'm, I'm going to have to, A, listen to that soundtrack a yeah. lot, and then go back, because that's really, really cool. In fact, the soundtrack was so good that Daniel Radcliffe said in an interview. Harry Potter himself. Harry Potter himself said in an Entertainment Weekly interview, quote, do you know what? I honestly think, it should be nominated for an Academy Award. The soundtrack and the songwriting from the band, Andy and Rob from the band Manchester Orchestra, obviously, I'm like totally biased, and but I really think that people are going to hear the montage song from that movie, and they're going to be like, man, that's the best original song all year. Was Harry Potter just in this fucking room? Chris, that was phenomenal. Thank you very much. And that's cool. I know, right? Love some propers. Yeah, funny enough, that soundtrack was nominated for Best Original Score for a Comedy Film and Film Music Composition of the Year at the 2016 International Film Music Critics Awards. Oh, that's cool. Which is cool, so they got a little recognition for that. Yeah, awesome. And they got a little rad condition. Yeah, rad condition. That's good. Rad, rad Rad condition? I've got a rad condition. Yeah, what is it? It's a rad tradition. No, I don't (laughs) I got nothing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the Family Matters theme. I don't know what just happened. Nice. Uh, my rad condition is just my existence. Yeah, I completely agree. You're a <laughs> rad guy. Yeah, it's just condition code rad. <laughs> That's like code dad. That's like <laughs> that was code dad. No, threat level midnight. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> code rad. That's great. Um, all right, so I guess we'll just uh, reasons why I love this band. Yeah, right, let's wrap it up. The raw vocal performances and powerful lyrics Definitely. stay throughout all the time. Amazing contrast between their heavy music and the quiet acoustic stuff. I love within, that. Within a record and between records. Different musical styles within each record, so you never get fatigued throughout listening to the discography. And they are amazing live performers. Seeing these guys only one time, I saw them at the Tabernacle in Atlanta in 2010, and they played with... Uh, Cage the Elephant opened for them. That was when their debut record came out. Ain't, for, Ain't a Rest for the Wicked was playing everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, 
those guys were crazy and wild. And then I got to see these guys in the tabernacle. And it was awesome because these guys are an Atlanta band yeah, hometown show. playing a hometown show. And he would literally just stand there and be like, I saw Elvis Costello right there. I saw Nirvana right there. And you're just like, whoa, yeah. it was an awesome moment. Cool. So he's like, thank you guys so much for this means so much to us. So that was like a really cool moment. That's a cool venue, right? Oh, dude, it's a, it's an old converted church and yeah. they have all the stained glass still behind them and they light it up at night. It's Ah, it's amazing. Cool. Tabernacle's a cool venue. If you're ever down in Atlanta and there's a band playing there, please check that out. It's so good. But without further ado, I will play my hopefully weaseriest song uh, that I think they have. Uh, this is off their 2011 album, Simple Math, and it's a song called April Fool. I was born an April Fool, full of gold to brothels. And saved all my sins. And roll right but what about that makes you think of weezer it's those arpeggiated guitaries oh okay that's what really really draws me in yeah that's like a george harrison special the the high guitar part you're saying mm-hmm. that's like playing in sixths you know if that makes mm-hmm. sense so like a uh, inverted third on the g and the e strings just kind of making your way up through the co- chords of a scale just yeah, using yeah. those two notes to imply the chord that's like something that he really fell in love with in the late 60s you hear it all over let it be the record for instance like oh, it, nice. like yeah, if you yeah. were to listen to the verses of uh, um don't let me down and it's for the same sure, key yeah. as the song which is e like you would be like oh like that's all those voicings that's like george harrison stuff there you go in the intro to uh Across the universe. Nice. That yeah, sound. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? True, true. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah, I don't find that particularly Weezer, but it has Pinkerton energy. Yes. Yeah, the the yells and the screams. And then in the second chorus, there's a little bit more like the the backing vocals are singing, ah, like on over, gotcha. over top him. So the, the second verse is pretty reminiscent. Gotcha. So maybe we'll play that instead. We have no idea what actually just got played because it's edited. (laughs) (laughs) We did just listen to the first verse and chorus of the song. I think we'll leave it. I think that's fine. I I, I get your meaning, though, you know? Uh, But weirdly, I think the first song was more Weezer. I guess in hindsight, you're kind of (laughs) right. But I I should have chosen a different second song because there were way better songs than that one. Oh, that's okay. That was fun. (laughs) It just kind of spoke to me. But yeah, it's, it's, uh, I like, I really like that song and I like the group a whole lot. I'm telling you, that, that band really sounds like Built to Spill. I'll have to look them up. I've never even heard of those guys. Oh, wow. Yeah, really a, really a cool indie rock band, guitar-driven, but similar vocal style, and just honestly similar, like, playful alternative rock. Nice. Yeah, you'd really, like, you'd really like them. Perfect. I'm um, learning so much today. Speaking of things I really like, let's hear your number two. Number two. This is a bit of a combo platter, um, and this is the most personal choice on my list. Mm-hmm. Uh, my number two selection is a, a band called The Bar Brothers. Never heard of them. They used to be called The Slip. 
the slip was a jam band, for lack of a better term. A Boston bass, but these these gentlemen, the Barr brothers in question, Brad and Andrew Barr, the guitarist and drummer of both bands, uh, grew up in Providence, Rhode Island. Wow. Amazingly enough. Whoa. Ultra local. Yes, ultra local. They have since uh, relocated to Montreal, where huh. they've lived for the better part of the last decade plus at this point. This is the band that, number one, I have seen live the most of any band in the last 20 years. Wow. I've seen various iterations of these two humans playing music live over 50 times Holy in the crap. past 20 years. What? That is a lot of times, Chris. As The Slip, they're a band that I completely stumbled upon randomly, on a whim. Providence, Rhode Island, December 1999, 16 years old, walking through the streets with my friend Mike Greco, my friend Audrey O'Brien. We had just shot some pool. We had nothing to do. It's 10 o'clock on a Friday night, and we're walking by Lupo's. And my buddy sees the sign, The Slip, and they're playing there that night. And he goes, oh, we should go to this. They're, they're like fish, I, 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 I think. And I was like, oh, cool. Literally three days later, I saw fish for the first time. Wow. With this dude, Greco. We were about to go see fish. We both were just like kind of getting into them. Yeah. Hadn't se- oh, I think maybe he had seen them once before, but I had never seen them. And I was super psyched about that. But I was like, sure, that's where I'm at. Let's go. I walked in the show. They take sta- the stage at 11 o'clock, played a three-hour set without stopping. And within the first... 20 minutes, which was like a song and a half, I was like, this band does everything I love about music in one band. There you go. That's the way it's got to be. Yeah. They had the jazz element. They had the expansive, almost classical element in like strange song forms and and elaborate compositions. They jammed. They were funky. And they had great melodic songs. And that's what kept me on board with them, even as I moved away from jam music and jazz and kind of the more heady chops-based playing. They always had songs and they always had melodies. So in 2011, in Montreal, they formed the Bar Brothers. The two brothers and harpist, Sarah Paget. There's a harpist in this group? Yes. My God. They have a primary harpist. She unfortunately doesn't tour with them anymore. They have a new harpist who's also great. Yeah, yeah. But that was the core of the band. And they've had various other collaborators through the years uh, based out of Montreal. Every time I see them, it seems like a different lineup. And they're all great and all badasses. I've probably seen the Bar Brothers themselves maybe 15 times at this point. I will see them anytime they play because while the new music is more song-oriented and more textural and more studio-based, they still are great musicians and they still like to play in the moment and they still explore the music on stage. That got into me so deeply. And I've just never seen a band embody it better than these guys. They remind me of some of my other favorite bands, Fish, obviously, for being kind of from the jam band world initially, and Yola Tango, in that those three bands are like, they consist of the biggest music nerds I've ever seen. And they're music nerds who are making music. And that's exactly why it relates. Yes. And that core principle of like, we love music, not just like all this popular music, and not just all this classic rock, and not just all this jazz. We love West African music. We love Indian music. And somehow it all gets together in a true fusion. Yeah. You know, a true combination of all of these styles. On top of it all, simple melodies, thought-provoking lyrics. And then in the studio, as Bar Brothers, there are three records that they've put out since 2011. Like Each of them kind of has their own sonic quality. The first was kind of a home-brewed affair that they recorded like in the boiler room of their apartment building in Montreal, and it really sounds that way. It sounds good, but it sounds very home-baked. Right, right. And their next two are just so sonically and texturally perfect that it just elevates the already mm. quality songwriting and performing to just the next level. So I almost 
can't relate this band to Weezer at all. Right. But with the help of my brother, Joe, actually, I did find a way in. On their most recent record, they have a song called Maybe Someday. And when I first heard it, I thought, oh, this is kind of like they do the Black Keys meets like Paul Simon. It's like melodic, but it kind of has this like riff, you know, that's based around, which is kind of rare for them. When they rock... Much like Elbow, it tends to be from a bluesier place, weirdly. Okay, sure. You know, he'll even play like open tune slide guitar on an acoustic guitar live and just like dig in. On top of it all, great finger picking acoustic player. Like, just, oh, he just the, does yeah. everything. And the drummer, Andrew Barr, anyone who sees me play drums, because I'm also a drummer, they'd be like, oh, cool, Chris, he plays this unique way. If anyone ever sees Andrew Barr play drums, They'd be like, like oh, oh, I see. He's just doing that shit. Because he just got in my bones. And I would just stand, you know, because this is a small band. Right. I say that, but in researching for the show, their most popular song on Spotify, a, a, a lovely little acoustic song called Even the Darkness Has Arms, 61 million streams. Nice. For this band, you know, dudes from Providence living in Montreal. I go to shows. I mean, they just like had a big turnout at the Columbus Theater in Providence. You know, they probably had like, you know, five to 800 people there. I've seen them sell out the Sinclair in Boston many times. Like they have a draw, but of course that's here. Right. You know, and as the slip, they would like sell out the Paradise in Boston, an 800 person room. That's pretty big. But again, it's Boston. And they, but they'd be touring internationally. They would go in Japan, they would go to Europe, they would go to California. As the Bar Brothers, they've actually played Red Rocks. Oh, opening wow. for My Morning Jacket. Nice. Um, they've been on tour in Europe with The War on Drugs, another great modern indie band. So, like, they're a real band, and I always forget. You know why? I've been seeing them since I was 16, and I know them. You right. know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And they know me. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I've talked to them so many times through the years, because, I mean, like, I've seen them in Kingston, Ontario. Me and three friends drove up. Steve included, actually. Steve Johnson, guest on our nice. Melon episode. Colleen Hennessy as well, wow. the Blind Melon director. What a great group. A great group. And our friend Joe Burr. And we, and we showed up there, and there were four people in the room. And they're like, what are you guys doing here? That's crazy. And they were like, this is great. And they're like, what, what do you want to hear? And it wow. was just like that. And we just basically had them to ourselves. It's worth the entire trip. Yeah. Oh, it was tremendous. It was so great. And then a couple of years ago, they played the Folk Fest on the main stage. Nice. Which was so great to see because I know it's meaningful for them being Rhode Islanders. Right. To them be playing this legendary festival, yeah. New- Newport Folk Fest, on the main stage. Got a huge reaction. Played a great set. I was filming it. And I went up to Brad and he goes, hey, Providence. You know what I mean? Like, And this is like 33-year-old me. Right. Dude's been seeing me front row at a show since i was 16 like they've grown up as musicians and songwriters and stuff i've grown up as a human and a songwriter and all this stuff so let's start with the weezer influence song which i started talking about a song called maybe someday because it reminds me a heck of a lot of a more organic more human version of the weezers beach boys
Did I just say the Weezer? The Weezer Beach Boys. <laughs> the Weezer Beach Boys. <laughs> the Beach Boys. The Weezer. I suppose I could see the uh, the tie in there. Yeah, it's like a little groovy. Yeah, that riff that drives it. Bam, bam, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, close enough. Yeah, that's a nice little hook. Yeah, that's good stuff. And that's and then kind just of driving unlikely. off that and the drumming and man. oh, the drum, the groove's great. Yeah, and you even hear a little vocal percussion, which of course is kind of a, a tie in too. Weekend Woman and yeah. the zombies there just right, right. <laughs> you know those kind of things coming in. Love that so much. Yeah, that's a cool tune. So that's off of 2017's Queens of the Breakers. And let's just get into my personal selection. Uh, I could have gone so many ways with this. I was even thinking about doing a slip song just to kind of balance it out, but I decided to keep it with the Bar Brothers. Okay. Uh, and this is a song called Little Lover. And what we hear here is a wonderful marriage of kind of West African groove influences mixed with simple Americana pentatonic melodicism. Oh, that was that was the biggest sentence I've ever said. <laughs> I'm not even going to try to repeat it. Um, and all, all blended together. You hear the harp more prominently here, which is kind of cool. It's kind of like a treated harp. Cool. You know, it kind of dead in the strings to emulate kind of an African kalimba or something like okay, that. Okay, sure, yeah. yeah. Uh, and instruments, honestly, that I'm not even sure what they are. So let's have a listen to Little Lover by the Bar Brothers off of 2014's Sleeping Operator. different feels there right seriously yeah cool percussion they're using whatever they're using i know that. i hear a little bit of marimba snap, there clap kind of thing going yeah on. it almost sounds like you know like the whip when you're like oh, in, like in sleigh bells in sleigh bells yeah you know what i mean i do know exactly <laughs> what you mean you gotta be in school concert man yep. it's like christmas concert to know what we're talking about I but the two boards of wood hit together yep. Yeah. That's a this is a band and and I'd love to see them live with you sometime. Uh Chris, I think you'd really enjoy seeing them. This is a band where you you look at the drummer and you look at their instruments just in general. You go, "Who did someone just make this shit? Like what's that contraption?" Like That's cool. Yeah, he even back in the day he made a tuned percussion instrument out of PVC pipes of different length. And what he would do is hit them with rubber sandals. So you basically create suction and release it. Boom, 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 boom. And he just cut them to the right length to be the right pitches. That's awesome. And they would like play tunes with that. Like it was just wild. And you never knew what setup he was going to be using. Right. You know, just playing paint cans. And there's even a song on a slip record called Paint Cans. Just playing tuned paint cans with different amounts of paint in them. Oh, it's really imaginative. That. But I'm telling you, my life, like, I, you know, there's those moments in your life where you go, wow, okay, I'll never be the same. And their first show was absolutely one of them. That's huge. Yeah. And Congratulations. It's funny yeah. Hey, I'm happy to have it. I had it at 16, and I'm not even sure that I would be the musician, songwriter, teacher, whatever, 
that I am if not for like that show. It's, it's like that significant. That's remarkable. That's my Beatles on Sullivan. Yeah. You know what I mean? True. And to have them still be making music that I love, arguably music that I love more than any music they've ever made, and they're still making it. It's, oh, it's exciting. And that people are listening to it. That's great. It really yeah. means something. 61 me. million. 61 million. Fish, for instance, their number one song on Spotify, Farmhouse, it has like 9 million. Like no one's listening to Fish on Spotify. No. The Fish is a way bigger band. Fish sells out Madison Square Garden like right. every time they play there. Like But it's the it's the usage of users on Spotify. Yeah, well like a Fish fan's not going to be one listening to fucking Farmhouse, right. the yeah. studio version on Spotify, <laughs> but like it's one of those numbers. Like even Africa is in the 30 millions. Africa Weezer's yeah. biggest hit is in the 30 millions. I was shocked to see that. I was like, let me look at a Weezer song for reference and I was like, "Whoa." Yeah. Way to go, Bar Brothers. Exactly. Christopher yeah. Way to go to your number two. Oh, it's time. It's time to take a turn for the heavy, Chris. Are you ready to rock and roll? <laughs> of course. Are you ready to get your socks blown off? I think I am. As you can tell from my music, I don't rock all that hard anymore. <laughs> I know. It's crazy. You're, you're, everything has changed. You're, an old, you're a seasoned old man now. That's right. I'm the elder for a good reason. All right. Well, I'm keeping it young. Band number two, a little quartet out of Glendale, California, called System of a Down. Oh, shit. Yeah, dude. I forgot. Absolutely. They had to be in there. They're from Glendale? They're from Glendale. Wow. That's a nice town. Well, yeah, so it is. Yeah, suburb of LA. Um, These four guys, Serge Tankian, Darren Malakian, Shavo Odajian, and John Dolmayan. Armenian much? Four Armenian guys. <laughs> um, so these four Armenian-American guys got together in 1994. Their first album was not released until 1998, so they make the cut. Thank you Beautiful. very much. But formed in 1994, these dudes said, we love metal music, but we want to do it different. And that is exactly what they did. These guys transformed an entire genre, a genre that I'm not super enthralled with. But these guys took a style of music that I normally would never, ever listen to and just made me absolutely obsessed at a very impressionable time, I will admit. Um, Fun fact about the band, both Serge and uh, Darren went to the same Armenian school in L.A., but they were eight years apart, so they never met each other. And they met simultaneously working on different projects in a recording studio like eight years later, which I think is like kind of a funny little... Funny little tidbit there. That being said, I found these guys back in 2004 when my best buddy Alex brought over the record Toxicity, which most people know. The Toxic kind of, City. Yeah, Toxic City is basically their best record, best most well-known record with their basically three biggest songs that most people know. I would right? think so. You know, Chop Suey, Toxicity, Aerials. Mm-hmm. Those are the three that everybody knows. Killer uh, songs. Oh, great songs. And the rest of the record is fantastic as well. Um, there's really not too many bad bad tracks on that record no whatsoever. joke i was teaching the intro to chop suey to a student last night there you go it still, <laughs> still lives on the student's 14 that's awesome that's that that's, great that's the it's age 2019 i know it's 2019 the dude's 14 <laughs> and he's learning chop suey because yep. the song rocks it's awesome it's an amazing song so i first introduced again 2004 my buddy alex brought over toxicity he said hey my uncle just gave me this record i want you to check it out i pop it in the cd player Keep in mind, this was 2004, so my favorite bands at the time were Outkast, Chingy, and Sierra. 
Wow. So three like hip hop R and B like pop musicians, right? And so listening to like early two thousands hip hop and that being my musical umbrella and hearing that come on, mm. you hear prison song come on for the first track. As a twelve year old, I'm like, uh, what's happening? This is weird. This is funky. Yeah. And it was like a little freaky and kind of disturbing. I was like, man, this is like really jarring music. Um and I will admit, I remember when I put it on, my mom came in. She's like, what are you listening to? I don't feel comfortable with you listening to this. This is not okay. And I was like, oh, well, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And I just kept listening and kept listening. And I got obsessed with these guys. Um, so this, of all the bands we've talked about, this is the band that goes back to where I discovered them at the youngest. In 2004, they had three albums out. They're self-titled. Uh, Toxicity and Steal This Album were all out, so I dove in deep, all three of those. And then in 2005, when Mesmerize and Hypnotize came out, I dove in super hard to those records as well. This is a band that has only gotten better with time. This is the one band of the entire group of bands that I went back and listened to, 12 different bands that I went back and listened to to, to decide for this list. This is the only band that I like more now than I used to. And I already liked them a lot. Wow. Are you surprised by that? Kind of. Yeah. Because I was like, I was really impressionable. I was 12, 13, 14. I had all these records at my disposal, listening to them all the time. I was angsty. I was angry. I wanted heavy, pounding drums and crazy things. But now, as as a more seasoned musician, listening to these songs, Darren Malakian is one of the most talented songwriters of the past 20 years Mm. in terms of his ability to write hooks, write melodies, write harmonies, write bass lines to basically construct an entire song that has huge variation within it. Like these are not a B a C songs. These are not just like verse, chorus, verse, chorus. I mean, you can listen to a couple little bits of a song and have six different melodic changes with an entire song and you never get fatigued. That was the thing that I kept going back and listening. I was like, wait, is there there's this song has one verse and one chorus and everything else is interludes and little intros and outros and his song construction particularly in the the double header that they released in 2005 and th- those are the records that I feel like the the true system fans they're like oh no you you know toxicity and and earlier that's like the the meat of their stuff mesmerize and hypnotize are their best records oh, wow. in my opinion like the stuff that they those two records that came out in 2005 I think Mesmerize has 12 tracks on it and Hypnotize, I think, has 13. That's 25 straight hits. Hmm. Like, nonstop, the entire time. Swinging a hit? Every time. 25 times. <laughs> um, those CDs are really cool, by the way. They they insert into each other. Ah. They came out like six months apart. Yeah, and yeah. I always wondered, because Hypnotize, the cover of it, is on the back of it, so it opens backwards. Right. Like a book you would read right to left. And then I was always confused by that. And then I finally bought Hypnotize and it was right, but it had like an extra sleeve. And then I found you could slide them together. Like 15-year-old Chris was really into that. Mind blown. I was just like, this is the coolest thing. (laughs) Um, Funny enough, that relates perfectly. So because it was a double CD, I had to put it at the bottom of my CD tower because Mm -hmm. my, my CD tower only had the fat stacks down by the bottom. And the initial name of this band was not System of a Down. Their first name was actually Victim of a Down, which is based on a, the name of a poem that Malakian wrote at the time. However, Victim was changed to System because the basis of the group said, one, I think System of a Down will have a wider appeal to people, and two, I want us to be closer to Slayer CDs. <laughs> <laughs> and so the band wanted to pay homage to their heroes in Slayer. Uh, so there's your first Weezer crossover. Right? Yeah, sure. So huge influence, Slayer. Obviously heard a lot more in this band. <laughs> than, Do you know uh, who produced Slayer? Rain and Blood? 
Uh, would that be none other than Rick Rubin? You better believe it. Which is exactly who produced all five of System of a Down's records. They were signed to American, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's the, yep. that's and the then, label run by Rubin. Yep, and Rick found him, and he said he remembers exactly. I actually watched a fantastic interview uh, where Rubin is just talking about all the bands that he's he's worked with, and he had a, a big chunk about System of a Down. Cool. And talking about when the first time he heard him, he was like, this is going to be a band that changes music. Hmm. He, he knew immediately from the first time he heard it because he was like, I couldn't stop laughing the whole show, but not because these guys are a joke. It's because they're taking it to the next level and they're being funny about it. They're just pushing it to the next level in all the right ways and checking all the right boxes because you've got these really funky Eastern kind of like Armenian drum beats and using the harmonic minor and the melodic minor and using those awesome tones that we don't hear too much in Western music, mm-hmm. um, but incorporating it into like heavy rock music, you know, metal music, you know, headlining Ozfest yeah. with these crazy melodies. Um, and so, the singing. And the singing. That's one of my my takeaway things. So first off, this band is melody, melody, melody. I don't care how heavy they are. These guitar riffs that Malakian writes are just off the hook and so catchy and uh, and really, really beautiful. But the singing between these two dudes, between Malakian and, and Tankian, unbelievable. Like, both of them have undeniably unique voices because mm-hmm. Malakian is just like really nasally and high-pitched and really yeah. weird and almost like uncomfortable sounding yeah like you don't think it should be a good voice and then surge obviously has the most nasally whiny voice ever but it just works and their ability to harmonize they don't do a whole lot of harmonizing in the in the earlier stuff they kind of like drop it in here and there but in in mesmerize and hypnotize the the vocal work is off the charts it's absolutely unbelievable so on top of all of that speaking of lyrics we've got creative funny entertaining and politically driven lyricism and so Basically, when you think about music, if you truly love the music of System, that's all Darren He writes basically 100% of the music portion, and Serge is doing all of the lyrical construction. Um, so that's it's kind of up to him to, to write the lyrics and sing the lyrics um, and choose how to perform them, right? That's really his thing. Uh, so to have that, the, the kind of yin and yang of them two constructing those songs together are absolutely fantastic. Um, and just hands down, the pure musicianship of everyone in the band. Darren is an absolute masterful guitarist who can shred when he wants to, pick in his right hand when he wants to, and just plain play. Uh, in addition to all of his guitar writing, he can just freaking write some melodies, and it's really awesome to hear. Um, Serge, incredible lyricist, amazing vocal performer. Odajian is an absolute beast on the bass. When you listen to some of his bass lines, I can't believe how fast he's playing, uh, just on a pure chop level. And then Dolmine's drumming is really, really amazing. In both his ability to play a ton of variety, play something different in a fill, and just change tempos and change pace in the middle of a song. Um, it's really, really masterful musicianship. Just all four of them. And they, they, they just jive so well. So, my personal favorite is a song called Radio Video. It's the fifth track off their 2005 record, Mesmerize.
okay, I get it. That's kind of weird. It's a little, probably the heaviest thing we've heard tonight. Yeah, probably. <laughs> or w- afternoon or whenever you're listening to this. Um, Bright and early, I would hope, you know? Yeah. You set your alarm 6 a.m. every uh, every release day. <laughs> yeah, that'll, wa- that'll wake you up. Yeah. Yeah. I, I forgot about that song. I, I, I never owned this record, but mm-hmm. uh, a girl, my girlfriend owned it at the time, and uh, she still owns it. She's just no longer my girlfriend. Oh, well, then. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I do remember hearing this song. Yeah, definitely. And I was a fan of System. Thanks for asking. Yeah, I hope you I hope you were. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I loved it. I loved the first the only system album uh I ever bought was the first one though. I okay. Okay. Well, uh, if you ever need to borrow, oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I need to borrow a CD. <laughs> what year is this? No, but uh yeah, I'll tell you what. They have something that a lot of the really great bands have, which is like that's kind of a silly song. Oh, Big time. Done like a bunch of badasses. Exactly. You know, like the vocal arranging and those verses. Oh, man. Tremendous. Thank you. I'm glad you think so. Uh, I shouldn't be thanking anyone. I didn't write the song. But <laughs> I'm just, I'm at, yeah, I don't know. Every time, I had a really hard time choosing a, a top song. Uh, I knew it, I wanted it to be from one of those two records, uh, just because it doesn't get as much recognition. But yeah, they do a lot of stuff that's like super, super silly and then just go absolutely crazy you know i could have chosen something like byob which i think is a great that was the only single off either of those two records i could have done violent pornography that's a really powerful song really scary freaky i figured i thought i would freak powerful out. genre of pornography yeah exactly that's kind of why i didn't want to choose it because like the the chorus is basically you know slapping chicks and sodomy the hey. kind of shit you get on your tv ah or choking chicks and sodomy pretty brutal oh it's worse yeah so i figured i might scare some people away if i chose You're that scaring song. me right now i'm sorry when it comes to choosing a song that relates to weezer with this band good luck little tough <laughs> lol little tough lol. uh so i chose one of their few acoustic songs because it is actually i think of absolutely beautiful melody again we get to hear these guys harmonize on top of acoustic guitar and cello which is Exactly why me and my friend Alex covered it for our junior year talent show. Ah. And we won second place. What? <laughs> um, so yeah, we covered that song. It's a, it's a really, really cool song. Uh, it's called Roulette, and it is off their 2002 record, Steal This Album. Why it should have been so plain Have no questions But I sure have excuse I like the reason Why I should be so confused I know How I feel When I'm around you I Don't know How I feel When I'm around you Yeah, I think that should have been a single. Oh, uh, yeah, right. That's one of their most listenable songs. Definitely. Period. To relate to any sort of general audience, you'd be like, you play that and then you play Toxicity or you play basically any other track and you're like, wait, that's that band? Yeah, right. For real? Um, 
So it's kind of funky. It's it's acoustic. It's nice because you get to really hear the dudes' voices. And I think they really sing the shit out of that song, at least in that recording. Uh, I think it's really great. I think it's an awesome song that people can, can really get down with and, and listen just on a pure harmonic and melodic standpoint, like wh- who this band is and, and the kind of songs that those these two guys can write, which is cool. Yeah. Uh, kind of a nice departure from the heaviness. Did you ever see them live? I, this is the other band I've not seen live. <sighs> I've heard they're horrible. That's, oh, interesting. I have two live records that I got. Uh-huh. Um, one that I like got off Napster called Live of the Wireless. I think it's some random ass place in like Europe or something. Hmm. Um, but that performance is god awful. Oh wow. Like horrendously bad. Huh. And I was just like, Oh, I guess I never have to see them live. <laughs> Not that being said, if I if they were to ever reunite and you go on tour. Them. Oh god, yeah. No. no, without question I would go. No doubt. I mean, this band means way too much to me to not. And I I know every song so well, there's no way I'm not going to see them. Right. But yeah, I've missed out. This is one of the few. Right. And Steve and I talked about on the Maladroid episode how we saw them with Incubus in Mr. Bungle back in 98. It was in debate. Like, what year was that Snowcore tour? 98 at Lupo's at a a club show. And, uh, you know, I can't really speak to, was it the tightest thing ever? I I don't really remember. But I remember the energy just being out of this world. Exactly. That's what they're known for, so... Yeah. I would lose my, I would absolutely lose my shit. The only band, like, if I think about, have you ever thought about that, like, bands you love that you've never seen? Of course. Like, which one would you pick? Like, if you could pick any band. That I could actually see? See, there's the real question. Like, yeah. Yeah, I guess for the sake of this, every, be everyone. Like, uh, the Beatles. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. On Sullivan. Yeah. No. Um, Mozart. <laughs> uh, Live. I think. He was Amadeus. Oh, sorry, Wolfgang. He he went by he went by Wolfie. Wolfie <laughs> Wolfenstein. <laughs> um, yeah, maybe they'll have a three D so, hologram of him. Who'd be Wolfenstein? <laughs> Wolfenstein three D. Wolfgang three D. <laughs> would you? Okay, let's say every band or every member in the band would still have to be alive, and they could get together and play. Oh, okay. They might have been broken up, or they're still touring, or. Any band you've never I, seen? So I, it, <laughs> I was uh, at my mom's house for Mother's Day uh, this past weekend as of recording, and my mom had found several of my old notebooks, lyrics, songless, setless, an amazing thing, a document of the first 120 shows I ever saw, numbered, dated, location, bands involved. I have this database handwritten. Holy in a le- on a legal pad, a yellow legal pad. Jesus. I thought that thing was gone. I hadn't seen it in so long. I've moved all these different places. I yeah. guess it's just been like in a box at my mom's house. And so re- I, I haven't even gone through it. I can't wait to actually read that list. But in that notebook was my list of five artists that I'd like to see before I die or they die. Okay, what is that list? Unfortunately, some of them are dead now, so oh. I can't see them. Um, but on that list was Leonard Cohen. mm uh, which unfortunately I never did see him live, which hurts me deeply that I never went to see him before he died. Uh, my Vishnu John McLaughlin hmm. uh, from the My Vishnu Orchestra and Miles' band in the in the late sixties. Right He's on Bitches Brew and in yeah, the Silent yeah. Way and tribute to Jack Johnson. Uh, I was just obsessed with him uh, as a teenager, and so that was on the list. And I actually passed up an opportunity to see him on his last tour just last year. He played oh. the Park Theater and in Cranston, but I just didn't feel like going. Because it's not really where I'm at musically at this very moment. But when I saw that list, I was like, yeah, he was always on that list. And number one, and I've been so blessed to actually have seen most of my favorite bands. I've made it a point to check a lot of these people off the list. So the only people that remain are uh, 
I've seen Roger Waters, but I would love to see David Gilmore Man, from Pink yeah. Floyd. Sure, sure. I've never seen Pink Floyd, but I've seen Roger Waters a couple of times. I've actually filmed him at Newport Folk Festival, which was like one of the great highlights of my like professional life as a videographer. Like just to be on stage with him. Heck yeah. In his backing band was my morning jacket. It was just like incredible. Man. And his backup singers were Lucius. <laughs> they played a one off show at the Folk Fest three years ago. It's amazing. Um and the other uh, artist would be actually, and this isn't even like top tier, but just I, that I haven't seen, uh, Paul Simon. I never oh, did wow. see Paul Simon, and I passed up an opportunity to see him last year on his last tour. Shoot. So, it, but that was a choice. I said, listen, you can't go to every show, and I decided not to go to that one. You know, it was just one of those things. But it was he, the same he, night as seeing Fish for the 300th time. <laughs> no. I had to do it. <laughs> no, I had I, to make the call. I, like, relative to the, the Bar Brothers and the Slip, I've actually seen the Fish like half as many times. I've only seen Fish like in the 20s. I, I'm not like the most devout fish head. I don't go to a ton of shows, actually. I find it exhausting, quite truthfully. Yeah, <laughs> like the travel, just the whole the thing travel and traveling and, yeah, just the whole deal. Uh, so how about you besides System? It would be either System or Rage. Oh, wow. Those are the two. Rage, do they get back together and play still? No. Yeah, so not it's not really. really an option. I mean, maybe. They might do something. Because all the band members are still like active in other stuff. Right. But they've just never gotten back together. Oh, yeah. Outside of Audio Slave, but now they, they can't get back together either. Yeah. I mean, I'm now not trying to now be they macabre, re- I'm just saying. They really can't. Yeah. yeah. Would be funny if they tried to do an audio slave tour with Zach singing the parts. That would be horrible. <laughs> It'd be really funny though. <laughs> That'd be, like I would like go just experiment. like I wouldn't even go to see Audio Slave for real or or Rage. Fr- quite frankly, and I've never seen either band. But uh, like, yeah, like a stone, <laughs> <laughs> motherfucker. <laughs> that would be amazing. Why did System break up? Honestly, I'm not totally sure. They just like had musical differences. Surge went on to do so, yeah. multiple solo records. Yeah. Um, the only one that I knew was the the first one, which I liked okay. Uh-huh. Um, he did a long tour where he did his solo songs with a full orchestra. Wow. He was just singing with an orchestra. Cool. I would have loved to have seen that. I missed that, which was, that was bad. They came to Atlanta and performed, and I was like, how did I miss Surge with an entire orchestra? Right. Uh, but I watched videos of it, and it sounded kind of weird. To be I, honest. I would yeah. imagine, yeah. I mean, his voice is something else. So yeah, as as far as I know, it was after, after Mesmerize. Yeah. That being said, as recent as 2016, it was said that the band had gotten back together and were recording in a studio. Whoa! So nothing has been released since then. They have not finalized anything. They haven't released any sort of track listings or demos or anything. Wow. Um, They're like the new Tool. It's like the long-awaited, yeah. oh, are they going to make another record? Exactly. And so, Tool is. They actually just announced that they're releasing a record dude, at the end of this or, or you know this year. Very cool. Yeah. yeah. But if, if System is going to release a sixth record, I will be first in line. Cool. But I will buy a CD. I will buy the physical You'll CD. be the one in line. That's fine. <laughs> At Best Buy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, so speaking of the one. Yeah. We're finally it. at the one. Number one. It. All right. Chris, at this point, do you have any sense of what my number one would be? Do you want to venture a guess in a game of I, Chrissy Guess This? I I, I basically think. haven't known any of your other four, so I'm going to assume that your first one is equally as... Is the only band that you knew by name The National? Correct. And you didn't know their music? Not very well. Gotcha. Yeah. I, I can just tell you we don't have to... You, you, but yeah. I'm curious if you've heard of this band. I am curious. We will find out. Because this, this to me, is the great American rock band right now. Not in the mainstream sense, not in like big crunchy shit on the radio sense but in like the wow like america produced this band and they've been around since 1995 and they've been making compelling music for most of that time and they remain compelling my number one is a little band 
from Chicago called Wilco. Whoa, cool. Do you know that band? Yes, only because I've seen them on the cover of Spin Magazine. Come back, on. Back when I was subscribed. Are you serious? Yeah. What year would that have been? That would have been bleh, 2009. Huh. So this band, led by Jeff Tweedy, singer, songwriter guy, formed out of the ashes of Uncle Tupelo, who were really like the progenitors of alt-country as we know it. Okay. Uh, and they split up. Uh, early 90s, 93, 94, and out of that, Wilco was formed. Uh, the other songwriter from Uncle Tupelo went on to form the band, Son Volt. We talked about him actually on our last episode because he collaborated with Ben Gibbard on that oh, Jack Kerouac-inspired record. Right on, yeah, yeah, sure. Which I believe is called One Fast Move and I'm Gone or something like that. Something. I, I still can't think of it. I thought I could think of it now, but I, I actually can't. So where to begin with this band? Simply put, their records have meant more to me this century than any other artist of like any time. And their music has proven to be the most influential upon my personal creative voice and journey. Even uh, more so than the last guys. Yes. As a songwriter. Okay. As a songwriter. Like as a songwriter and as a sense of like, where, what can a song do? What can a song that's theoretically written on a guitar or a piano, a very simple song, and what can it do sonically? Now, this band started as an alt-country band. Their first album, AM, released in 95, so just made the cut. I'm so relieved. Yeah. By their second record, a double album called Being There, they had kind of shifted into a little bit more sonically expansive, almost Stonesian, ramshackle American band. There's okay. songs on there that sound like they could be on Exile on Main Street. Mm. There's songs that sound like they could be on Neil Young's On the Beach. And then there's songs that you go, where did this come from? This is from another planet yet it's still humans with instruments in their hands. Yeah. After that, the band really took a turn towards the experimental. By the late 90s, they recorded an album called Summer Teeth, which I'm going to talk more about later, uh, which incorporated more synthesizers, Pro Tools, editing, sure, sure. just kind of using the studio more as an instrument. And by 2001's Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, they were officially like the most interesting American band making anything resembling rock music. They did not sound anything like they had seven years prior, and they were just completely on a different level. And there's an amazing journey to that record getting made. It's by far their most famous record, Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. Um, there's actually a really cool movie about the recording and release of that record called I Am Trying to Break Your Heart. It's black and white, filmed by Sam Jones. It's one of my favorite rock, rocking documentaries ever. Mm -hmm. um, and then 2004's A Ghost is Born is also regarded as one of the best but they remain an active band they actually every other year put on their own music festival called the Solid Sound Festival up in North Adams Mass by Mount Greylock sure. at Mass Mocha which is a museum of modern art and uh, they curate the bill and they headline uh, last time they did it they had the fans vote on which of their albums they would cover in its entirety mm -hmm. which that double album being their one from okay. uh, 1996 and that's really that was that was really cool i've actually never been to the solid sound festival though i've seen this band live numerous occasions now i actually kind of can't even keep track because also they or Jeff Tweedy seem to play the Folk Fest every couple of every, years. Yeah, sure. And in fact, Jeff Tweedy will be there solo this year. Wilco was there as a band two years ago, and I filmed them, which was an honor. And I look forward to Tweedy's set this year. He actually just released a solo record and a memoir, which is... Nice. I, I, I actually have it on hold from the library. I'm waiting to get my reserved copy. So I'm excited to read that. But so Wilco, the music of Wilco, what are they? I mean... They're the Beatles, they're Radiohead, they're Neil Young, they're but Leonard Cohen, they're everything I love about music, they are. In one in one package. package. Yeah. You know what I mean? And all I think 
songwriters, you know, musicians, band leaders, producers, you know, when they're being true to themselves, what they're trying to do is, I just want to make shit that I love. I just want to make shit I'd want to listen to. Right. You know what I mean? And I think that's what Wilco does, you know? And so just to see that, whatever it is, and they've gone back to more traditional roots at times. Like, they've had disappointing records because they just kind of sounded like a band again. And at this point, they're a band that was founded around Jeff Tweedy and the bassist of Uncle Tupelo, John Sturrott, who is still, that's the core, those two guys. And they always had kind of fluctuating membership. In fact, they had a, a, the original main collaborator with Jeff Tweedy is this guy, Jay Bennett, who was a multi-instrumentalist, a real musical mastermind and maestro. And much like Paul McCartney did with John Lennon, he could help Tweedy realize his ideas. Tweedy was just more limited musically. But they had a falling out after making Summer Teeth and Yankee Hotel, my two favorite records by the band together. And unfortunately, Jay Bennett has since passed away, which is really tragic because really he's as important to my love of this band, like the things that made me love this band Mm -hmm. as Jeff Tweedy in a way. Let me talk a moment too about the first time I heard this band. Okay. I'm record shopping at Newberry Comics. And I'm a notoriously shy person when I'm alone in the world, like just running errands. And I was just there to like pick up a CD or two. And... Over the speakers, I'm hearing this music. And I'm just like, what is this? And normally, I'm just like, oh, I don't want to talk to anyone. You know, like like self-checkouts were made for me. You yeah. know what I mean? You're the target market. I run to the counter and say, what is this? And the, the woman who, like, I kind of know, you know, you shop at the same record store all the time. You're like, oh, yeah, hey, how's it going? But I was like, what is this? She goes, it's Wilco, duh. You know, it's <laughs> like, how do you not know that? I've never been happier to be ignorant about a band. Man. Because I go, this exists, I don't know it, and I can own it right now. And you can have so much of it. Yes. And so that was the year 2002. So I was a little late getting to them. I bought Being There, I bought Summer Teeth, and then for Christmas that year, I got Yankee Hotel Foxtrot and just had a great listen to it driving Gmo to church on Christmas morning. (laughs) Just cranking it and just like, I'm sitting in the parking lot like this whole time listening to this record. It was like a rainy Christmas. Dang. And I listened to that record and it was like a record where I was like, I've legitimately never heard anything like this. I have to like adjust my ears to hearing this record to like, to to properly process this record. I'm going to play a song from that. So I was talking about the lineup. Since 2004, they've actually had the same consistent lineup. It's a six piece, Tweedy, Sturrott, but then they have multi-instrumentalist Pat Sansone, awesome, awesome singer and songwriter in his own right. They have really one of the most compelling rock drummers you'll ever see. He, much like actually uh, Brian Devendorf from The National, orchestrates his parts. I've even seen him play solo percussion performances a la classical music, tuned percussion, and just all manner of experimental percussion devices and i've seen him open for tweety just playing drums nice and it was like 40 minutes so sick it was so amazing so glenn kochi on drums great drummer i've i actually was watching wilco at the folk fest in probably 2014 and i was up in the wings like in like where like other bands can watch the band like on Mm -hmm. the main stage yeah yeah. because we weren't filming uh and i was just standing there next to bob boylan from npr all songs considered the guy who does tiny desk yeah and we, and we were just looking at each other. They were just rocking something out. And Glenn Kochi on drums was just going. And I was just like, best rock drummer, right? And he was like, oh, hands down. And I was like, fuck yeah, Bob Boylan. <laughs> you know, just like, I love sharing those moments, you know, yeah. with like these thoughtful people at that festival. But anyway, killer, killer, killer drummer. Then they have uh, 
keyboard maestro uh, Michael Jorgensen plays all manner of analog synthesizers and mellotrons and, and, and piano and everything. And then on guitar is avant-garde jazz guitarist, really, Nels Klein, who really? was like made entire tribute records of like, you know, like when Coltrane did just him and a drummer? Oh, Like yeah. he's like re-recorded those, but on guitar. This dude is like one of the best living guitarists and he's in Wilco and has been since 2004. Jeez. So like badass band. No kidding. On top of it all. So, to the songs that I want to play for you. This actually wasn't a hard band to relate to Weezer. Um, I, I guess I'll do it right now. Their album, Summer Teeth, because of its use of synthesizers and it existing in the 90s and being a little bit more coldly produced than some of their records, I think it actually fits right in with like Blue Album era Weezer. And so here's a song called I'm Always in Love off of that record. I think you'll see what I mean. So while that's not like one of my favorite Wilco songs ever or anything, that's just a killer piece of sunshiny yeah, pop rock. Totally. The synthesizers, it's a little more chuggy than most of their stuff and very melodic. Oh yeah, I can see it. You know, I definitely see the connection. They're throwing more to the... That's funny. That's almost a line in the song. In the bridge. That's so funny that you said. Oh, cool. Um, you know, they're throwing back more to the 60s, but so was Weezer. Yeah. You know? So I think like, they kind of came from the same place there. So that's that's a really catchy song. I actually remember playing that at a at, at a <laughs> at a wedding cocktail hour not too long ago. Really? I don't know why. I just thought it would be fun. Solo? <laughs> yeah, solo acoustic. <laughs> yeah. So let me talk a moment before closing about Jeff Tweedy as a lyricist. Just one of the most like... Somehow poetic yet stark and naked lyricists mm. you'll ever hear. He he tackles sure. all manner of human experience. Yeah. You know, he's had struggles with opioids in the past. Uh, he suffers from severe migraines, so got addicted to painkillers, and that really informed a lot of his songwriting around the time of 2004's A Ghost is Born. But he just has a unique way of putting everything. Okay. <laughs> Which is okay. great. Any artist who could start a song like Via Chicago off of Summer Teeth with... I dreamed about killing you again last night, and it felt all right to me. He's like a hero of mine. Talk about an opening thesis to a song. I dreamed about killing you again last night, and it felt all right to me. Whoa. (laughs) It's like, again, go on. You know, like, where are we going here? So I love that. Uh, Some of my other favorite of his opening lines, because he's a master at these, from A Shot in the Arm from the same record, the ashtray says you were up all night. Oh, that's what nice. a great piece of lyricism right there. That's good stuff. Oh, man. And uh and another, and this is from the song I'm about to play. This is from a song called Ashes of American Flags off of Yankee Hotel Fox Foxtrot. This is probably an opening quatrain, but roll with me. The cash machine is blue and green. For a hundred and twenties and a small service fee, I could spend three dollars and sixty-three cents on diet Coca-Cola and unlit cigarettes. Unlit cigarettes. What a way to put it. Well, he's got to make it fit. Yeah. Well, no, I don't think <laughs> no. so. I don't think that's it. That's a choice. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he could have made that work without unlit. Unlit was a choice. Of course they're unlit. But like, 
What a good way to put it. Yeah, yeah. when you buy, yeah. um, that just that just gets me. So that's the sixth track on the band's most significant record, Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, Ashes of American Flags. Let's hear what happens next in that song. Chrissy loves a psychedelic rock. <laughs> Damn straight I do. Yeah, Especially man. if it sounds that good. Oh, that's like creme de la creme of, of psych rock. Essentially, right there in that second verse where all the backing drops out. The guitar that's driven the song. Right. Previous to that just moment. that synth, that airy. You just start floating. You're just floating. And that this whole album, Yankee Hotel, like I said, adjusting your ears to this new sound. It's not how you expect it to sound. It was an attempt to deconstruct the song and get it down to its bare essentials and see if it could still stand. And the bare essential there is the vocal and the the lyrics. And you hear him say in the pre-chorus that precedes the chorus there, as pre-choruses do, uh, I wonder why we listen to poets when nobody gives a fuck. (laughs) (laughs) You know, he's he's one of them. He is pulling no punches. Yeah, yeah. But that floaty moment in the second verse, I mean, that effect is something that I strive for in like all the music i make to create moments like that yeah you know it's something else to to peel it back and i i should note that that album uh was mixed by jim o'rourke who's in a really an amazing songwriter in his own right great in, multi-instrumentalist i believe he moved to japan and lives in japan now and he's kind of a tough artist to like find the music of he's not on spotify huh. anymore he actually did the soundtrack or, or participated in the soundtrack to Grizzly Man, the Werner Herzog documentary. Oh, really? That yeah. Wow. Yep. And there's a great documentary about the making of the music there. And he he is he's part of that group. And that's really cool. But yeah. he mixed that record. And, you know, Tweedy definitely credits him with, like, he showed me what these songs could be by stripping them back. It's what we wanted to do, but they just piled everything on. You can hear a ton of elements in that song. Yeah, no kidding. But uh, just the way that you can kind of go maximal and then minimal within the span of 40 seconds is an inspiration to me. I don't blame you, man. That's like, it's quite an achievement. Yeah. Truly. Yeah. Yeah. It's what I live for musically, you know? But I recognize like, you know, Wilco's popular. I didn't look at like their Spotify stats or anything. Like, you know, I just kind of stumbled upon them with the Bar Brothers. But they're not like uber famous. No. But they're just... (laughs) <laughs> you can tell it's getting yeah, late. We just passed yawn. the midnight mark in our recording session here, and uh, I'm not bored of what you're saying. I'm just <laughs> exhausted. Uh, but I don't really know. Yeah, they're not uber famous, but like, there's a reason they're important, and they're important yeah. for things like that. In the same way that they've been called the American Radiohead, and I think for good reason, no doubt, yeah. absolutely. If you had to choose, would you prefer these guys or Radiohead? That's funny. I like the songs of Wilco. 
more. But okay. I probably appreciate the sonics of Radiohead more. So, mm. you know what I mean? Like, like Wilco got very textural on these couple records, but like, by and large, when it comes down to it, they're just like a really good band with really good songs. Yeah, yeah. These yeah. are the ones I'm most drawn to, and the next one, Ghost is Born. But like, Radiohead, everything I just want to hear. I want to be washed in Radiohead music. But when it comes down to like actually sitting and playing a guitar, some of their music doesn't really hold up. It's really about that textural wash. So I would say they're like, you know, neither of them are my number one favorite band of all time, but like they'd be like 4A and 4B. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But as a songwriter, Wilco's influenced me more. Why? I can sing like Tweety, and I can't sing like Tom York. Yeah. So I can't really- Not many people can. Yeah. But I do make a lot of music that clearly has a Radiohead bent, you know, in Naughty in particular, my band Naughty, with electronic drums and more synthesizers and just a little bit more abrasion, I guess, you know? Totally. But also like beauty emerging from that. This is me describing my own music. I don't fucking know what it sounds like, you know, but (laughs) something like that. That's what I want it to sound like. For sure. Well, Chris, we've reached the moment of truth for you. Man, it's going to be tough to top that. Wilco? Sheesh. Sheesh. Oh, heck. Oh, how the heck am I supposed to be that? Uh, Holy. Holy. Okay. So my number one most influential, favoritist band. I think I figured out what it was, by the way. The actual, the actual name. Yes. Say what you used to think it was. Yes. Oh no, I used to think it was Hot Rod Circuit. Hot Rod Circuit. That's a great band name, though. It is. It's a real band name. Oh, okay. it's a band. Yeah. yeah. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Well, good for them. I can't tell you anything about them. But I know it's a band. I think I know what it is. Okay. May I guess? Or you... would you like to say it? No, no. You're more than welcome to guess. A little band called. These are all little bands called. Most of them are really big. I just talked about a sextet. Streetlight Manifesto. That's correct. Yay! Yay you know me. Uh, uh, you don't know me at all. Nope. <laughs> not at all. That's true. My number one favorite band of all time and also this era is Streetlight Manifesto. All time? Yes. Holy shit. Definitely. Uh, that said, by the way, I know Chris, and I, I know this is like his favorite band. I do not know a note of their music. So well, that this is about to be very exciting, and yes. you're either going to love it or you're going to hate it. Uh, we'll find out. I'm excited, to, I'm excited to learn. <laughs> yeah, good. Okay, so this is a group that was kind of a, a Frankenstein group that kind of formed from the breakup of a couple other bands. Um, these were kind all like Wilco. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Um, these guys were all part of the um, New Brunswick, New Jersey third wave ska kind of posse or group or community, I guess, is the best word for it. So, frontman, Thomas Kalnaki, he is the mastermind of this entire project. He was the frontman and lead songwriter and guitarist for the band Catch-22. Very, very popular group. They only released one album when he was the frontman. And oh, I thought, he, I thought they released a book. Oh, the one by Heller? Oh, 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 I think that is literally the, the inspiration oh, for the bands. They're doing a miniseries on Hulu, actually. Hulu's doing Heller. Really? <laughs> As in Clooney. like they're turning Catch-22 yeah. into Clune. a... Wow. Yeah. I'll have to reread that book. I haven't read... I have not read that since high school. Bring me. I haven't read it ever. Oh, okay. <laughs> I own it right there. It's on your bookshelf. I can see it right there. It's pretty funny. It's pretty cool. Yeah, no, it, I, it's important and I should read it. I completely agree. It's hard to read though. Mm. Like It, in, it like, is. It is you just know, like you read it I find it, it hard to make the sounds in my head uh, more than anything. Especially those... Sorry, I'm, I'm consonant. Consonants. It's very hard. I'm sorry. It really is. So well, you're right. It is hard to read. I mean, I read better in my head than I read out loud, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Chris, I have to say, 
Chris the Younger here. He's doing a lot of reading today, and he does pretty well. Not bad. You probably wouldn't have been able to even tell, except you totally did, but I'm hiding it better than normal, <laughs> so I will take it. A uh, lot of notes for this episode. A lot of... A lot of information about a lot of bands we had to We're spit on page out seven now. I'm very excited. Exactly. We each did seven. So good. Okay. So Tom Kalnaki of Catch Twenty Two kind of met up with a bunch of other members from another New Jersey ska band called One Cool Guy. They got together, got a couple other people together, and then in two thousand and three they dropped their first debut record, Everything Goes Numb. This record changed ska. It absolutely and not I shouldn't even say it changed ska. They went their own direction with the genre and stayed there and no one else followed them. And they just did their own thing. So it didn't change ska at all. You're right. That's why why I corrected myself. It profoundly did not affect ska. Exactly. (laughs) Hey, you must be in your glory right now, by the way. Ska talk. You finally got it. I finally get the mic on ska talk. All to yourself. I'm turning my mic off, actually. Go to town. All right, fine. So here's the deal. I mentioned this before with System, and I mentioned it as well with um, Rise Against. They're two bands that play music in genres that I don't typically like, but they do it in a different enough way that I love it. This is a band who took a genre that I already loved and warped it and changed it and incorporated a ton of other shit that I love to just make their own sound. What is this shit? So it's basically, it's ska music because it's classified as ska because it has a huge horn section, right? The horns get all of the melodies, all of the hooks, everything that drives the song is is um, incredibly melodically horn-driven. But that's basically the only thing that brings it to ska. Ska, in my opinion, is very, very cut and dry. Verse, chorus, verse, chorus, verse, chorus. The hook is the little melody that they play before each riff and after each chorus. This does not do that at all. Kalnoki is an absolute mastermind and crafts songs in a way that I don't really know many other musicians to do it. He truly, he will give you five completely different melodic chunks within a two minute span. And you never get tired. It's like one awesome little melody that leads directly into this other little hook that leads into another section of lyrics, little interlude, more lyrics, interlude, chorus. And you're like, I just took seven steps to get to the chorus. Right. And so you, you get this awesome journey in like, in a five-minute song. Yeah. And that's the thing. Their songs tend to be pretty long just because they'll have this like huge, drawn-out like five-chunk thing and then repeat that five-chunk thing and then have like an epic outro. So they don't follow standard guidelines in terms of like pop or rock songwriting at all, which is something I absolutely love. They are heavy as hell. Tons of good distorted guitar, but then opens up to clean guitar and choruses, which obviously is a pretty big trope in, in ska music at least. But he has... Tons of variation in his guitar tone. The bass lines are out of this world, particularly on the first record. Um, you you don't. I think the the mixing of the the second two records are much. Um, I won't say more well balanced, but they're much more horn heavy, and so you really really focus on the the horn driven melodies and don't get to hear the rhythm section as much. But the the rhythm section work. They also had a different bassist and a different drummer at that time when they released the two thousand three record. But the the bass playing is just next level, just like the most creative, insane little interludes that he's just improvising on top of like Kalnaki singing is just like, ugh, it gets me so excited just talking about <laughs> it. Um, let's see. So they, they totally did something completely different in a in a genre that I love. And every time people ask me like, oh, Streetlight, what, uh, what genre are they? And I'm like, they're Streetlight Manifesto. Like I, I genuinely can't relate them to, to any other band at all. There are tons of other bands in the ska genre that are similar enough that I think would have a lot of crossover. Um, but in terms of like this group, this really, really, 
they kind of do it on their own. I want to hear some, goddammit. All right. Sounds good. So this is the track that I chose that I think Weezer fans will enjoy. It's a little song called Ungrateful, and it's off their 2013 record, The Hands That Thieve. And you know that I know you can do Oh, at long last, you got some more ska on the show. A little ska. I mean, the first actual ska on the show. Well, we did play the AHA cover oh, yeah. on the Teal album. Oh, yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. In your defense, I did not have that audio at the time we recorded. I added so, and it. And I just forgot. <laughs> yeah. And Chris doesn't listen to our Clearly, episodes. I don't listen to the show. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was a while ago, too. It was. Yeah. Seems like just yesterday. It's so weird, too, because you were super sober when you recorded that thing. Yeah, I know. Was, you were so clear-headed. Exactly. And energetic and healthy. <laughs> that should have been the Green Album. <laughs> <laughs> that was the Green Album. Exactly. It was for me. Oh, boy. All right. So, so yeah. you love that. That is not the best representation of their music, but I really do. Okay, cool. I do love that. That was the Weezer choice. That was the Weezer choice primarily because I was like, okay, maybe they'll really dig a bass solo. They'll like the riffage. <laughs> they'll, you know, the punk rock drums. All that. I don't know. Right. It's it's, it's hard still to... ska. It's like tough to make ska sound like Weezer. Anything you know else. what I mean? Oh, yeah, definitely. Not ska. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, did someone show you this band? Like, how did you find this band? So I found this band because they opened for Real Big Fish when I went to go see Real Big Fish. Nice. So so you stumbled upon them. Exactly. That's great. Yep. So I they opened and I was like, oh, I've never heard of Streetlight Manifesto. And the time that I saw them, they had two albums out. And... I just remember the energy in the room. Like these, this is the most loyal fan base of any band that I've ever seen live. And I've seen these guys now five or six times. I don't remember. I saw them at least three times in Atlanta and then twice in Boston and then once again at the Palladium. So there's the Palladium coming in for the final show. So I've seen these guys a ton and the energy never, ever dissipates. I remember the energy for this band was way higher than Real Big Fish. Oh, interesting. And Real Big Fish was the headliner and it was still like a thing. They were the big fish. Exactly. For I mean, real. real Big Fish is just like a bunch of people like, ha ha, yeah, this is great. But like- Party time. This was like heavy, like moshing, like aggressive. And I was like, man, this is really cool to see at a ska wow. show. And just like, I remember particularly looking into the eyes of the baritone sax player, Mike Brown. He is the most intimidating looking guy ever. He's just like blowing air through this horn that's almost as big as he is. And it looks like his eyes are going to pop out of his head. He's wearing a backwards Kango. Like this. (laughs) Nice. You look at this guy and you're just like, Jesus, I I can't tell if he's on drugs or if he's just like, I don't know. Feeling it. it. But it's intense. Um, and just obviously the the band has seen a lot of turnover as most ska bands do in the in the horn section and whatnot. It's only natural, um, but I, yeah, like I know. <laughs> <laughs> hey man, don't mock me. This is my number one band. I was mocking myself for saying it's only natural. <laughs> it's, what the fuck do I know about ska horns? Hey, let me tell you. Um, 
I will say this, although there was a ton of turnover in the group, uh, Tom Kalnoki, the, the lead vocalist and guitarist, and Jim Conti, who does vocals and plays alto and tenor oh, sax. Oh, Jimmy Conti. Jimmy Conti. Uh, these are like, those are the guys. They're the, t- they're the only two members who've been in it from the very, very beginning. Oh, okay, cool. Um, so they're really like the steadfast guys. And I actually got to talk to Jim Conti after one of the concerts, and I have a photo of him somewhere on my phone uh, from way back when I saw him back at the Masquerade in Atlanta. He just walked out wearing like, he had taken his t-shirt off and was changing into like a flannel and so he was just wearing like an open unbuttoned flannel this like super super laid back guy and we ended up talking to him and he's like a super eloquent really well spoken well mannered guy that's always nice right yeah and he's just talking about like yeah when we construct the horn lines it's kind of a little bit of this a little bit of that it's mostly Tom but I still get my two cents in here what did you say where do your ideas come from I honestly don't even remember what I asked him I was I was like so starstruck I was like holy shit you're Jim Conti and he's like that's me Oh he, he's just God. like so chill. He's like, "Yep, that I am." <laughs> I'm sure he's used to fans geeking out because these guys, like I said, small fan base, but like hardcore loyal. Sure, um, really, really dove in deep just as much as I did. So that was 2009 when I first discovered them at that show, and then after that, I just dove in to the the two original and one cover record that they had, and was completely obsessed. And then and just really went super super hard. What kind of covers do they do? So here's the thing, Toke. That's his the Tom Kalnaki stage name. He goes by Toke. Mm-hmm. He okay. He is okay. Toke. He uh, he is heavily criticized for kind of being a a prima donna and an asshole in terms of his what he thinks is his intellectual property, his stuff. Mm. Um, and so his original band. Catch Twenty Two, one of their most popular records, their debut record is called Keys. Me oh, Nights. you talked about this on that Scott pod, <laughs> Scott podcast, Scott Talk. Yeah, in Scott Talk. Yeah, so it's come full circle. So, so they bit. re-recorded the Catch Twenty Two. Yep, record. exactly. Catch wanted to re-release it sonically, just remaster the original mm. record, and Tom was like, "Nah, that's my music. You're not going to play my music." Wow. And he's like, "It sounded like shit sonically then, and I don't want to just remaster that." So he took better musicians and himself and just re-recorded the wow. entire record. Now. Did you know the Catch-22 record before? No. Okay. So I Do heard you think it, it's good? They're the same. Okay. That's <laughs> it's funny. just one is better. One sounds better. One sounds better. It's played better. And has tighter solos and tighter horn parts. Gotcha. But they're identical. Like, they didn't change the style. They literally just made sonically better versions mm-hmm. of the original. And they're both awesome. I love the Catch-22 version because it's so much more raw and like the solos are kind of a little bit different and some it's slightly more creative in, in certain songs but the drums and the bass in particular sound so much better in the Streetlight version it's it's not even funny um, you notice those things more than anything I think uh, with regards to recording quality yeah big you time. go like it's usually in the rhythm section you go like oh man but the drums sound like shit exactly there's some great songs that I just almost can't get past the sound like, sometimes Ugh. Yeah. And you know what I even did? I was so obsessed with the band at the time that this was before like uh, you know, Spotify or playlists or anything. So I remember I went out and I bought a CD ROM that was big enough to fit both Keys Be Nights on. Uh-huh. And I went track for track. I went track one, track one. Yeah, track two, yeah, track two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just like played the whole thing and I would listen to that all the time. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Um, because I was a loser. No, I said wild. <laughs> oh, I thought you said why. Why is a valid question too. <laughs> Um, I actually remember vividly I, uh, hanging out at your house when you lived down here in Narragansett mm-hmm. when you were in college. And I was hanging there with Jen, our friend Jen Langevin, who was living there at the time as well. And it was just like late at night and you came walking downstairs, um, kind of like out of it. it. But it was the day that a Streetlight Manifesto record came out. And Jen, and Jen knew this. I didn't know. I mean, and, and Jen was like, oh, how was it? Did you listen to it? 
and you were just like, you know, and you gave like your review that. So that must have been 2014 or it, 2013. That record came out. Oh, would it have been that time that I was at your house? That's what I'm wondering. Yeah. But I remember vividly mm-hmm. that moment and being like, "Streetlight Manifesto." Who's that? Who sounds edgy? <laughs> yeah, super edgy, bro. Yeah, um, and you actually were a little bit like, "Yeah, it's you know, it's good. I gotta, I gotta live with it some I more." Got, and I lived with it, and it's probably one of their best records. There you go. Well, granted, they only have three records of original music. Gotcha. They've released three others. Mm-hmm. Um, one being a solo Toke record of all acoustic versions of their popular songs, uh, which are which is great. It's a great record. Cool. He, he sings it well. He plays it well. Like he can play acoustic guitar like nobody's business. But mm-hmm. it's again, it's rehashing his old shit, which he got the same flack yeah, for. Yeah, weird. Um, and then they have another record called Ninety Nine Songs of Revolution, Volume One. He literally wanted to do his ninety nine most influential songs of his favorite bands. Oh, oh, cool. Um, and so that record has, I think. 14 of the tracks, 13 oh, or 14 gotcha. of them, uh, in which he covers uh, Radiohead. Um, the Bee Gees. No, if you can believe it. Uh, he They do Such Great Heights. By Iron and Wine? <laughs> no. Um, you know that cool, like, that intro of, of Such mm-hmm. Great Heights? They he Tom arranged that for horns, oh, and it's nuts. I'll have to hear that. It's That's gnarly. Cool. It's kind of crazy. Um, but then he starts singing it, and you're like, oh, God, shut up. Yeah. Like, the intro is awesome and then the rest of that cover just goes straight down i'm thinking it's a sign that's not bad (laughs) pretty close (laughs) um yeah no they do a whole bunch of cool stuff on that record it's got some some good tracks but my personal favorite album hands down that they've ever made is probably their second original record called somewhere in the between every track is a hit every track could have been a single and every single would have been gold I'm just kidding. I don't know. No one likes this stuff except for a very small percentage of people. But in my opinion, that record just destroys every time. So I want to listen to the first two minutes of the ninth track off that record that came out in 2007. It's a song called The Receiving End of It All. Yeah, yeah. 
I see what you mean about song forms. Exactly. So we just heard under two minutes of song time. There are five distinct separate songs, or I should say sections within that, that completely change. A little bit of lyrics here, a little interlude here, a little lyrics. I don't know. I just love the variety. You never get tired in, in a song like that. At least I feel. I don't know. Yeah. What do you think? Do you love it? Do you hate it? I Neither. Okay. You know. I'll take it. <laughs> I, I, I've never in my life owned a... You know, I had one great moment with Scott in my life. Uh, you know, I, I... I don't even believe that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I did. I went to see the band The Agents, which is like mm. the Rhode Island ska band. Okay. And they were playing their last show. <laughs> that was in like the year 2000. Oh, or 2000. Yeah, 2000. Uh, they literally just played a show last week. Of that. <laughs> like they've been playing ever of since. Of course. But The Agents and opening for them, a band called... Big D in the kids' table. Dude. Dude. And I was like... I'm so excited to hear this, this story band. right now. No, I was just like, I don't know about this fucking agents band. I just don't... You know, I just I, I just went because a friend asked me to go. Yeah, yeah. You know? And the agents were fine. But I loved Big D in the kids' table. I Fuck bought a yeah. shirt. I was like yes. into it. Tooth and Nail Records? Is that what they were on? What is that? Uh, Gypsy, Fork and Spoon? Gypsy Hill. No, there, this is it? before. The, I'm talking, this was the year 2000. This was a long time ago. It was a different uh, label at the time, I'm pretty oh, sure. Oh, wow. Uh, I'm pretty sure. I feel like I probably bought the record, but I definitely got a shirt. That's sick. And crazily, on that trip to Italy, wherein I was at the Vatican, uh, wearing a uh, Catholicism Wild shirt, I was wearing my Big D in the Kids Table shirt another day, and completely randomly, in Italy... A random girl, not from our trip, a, just a random girl, was wearing a Big D in the Kids Table hoodie. No fucking in way. Italy. Are you serious? And I was like, what the fuck? They're like a local Boston group. That's what I'm saying. That's crazy. Isn't that nuts? That's so cool. Yeah, and I was like, what's up? You know? That's crazy. Yeah. Did she speak English? She was she was American, but she was like from I forget where, like maybe the DC area. Oh, or something. all right. Well, still that all right. That's a little makes a little more sense, but still. But the, we were the, in Italy to, I mean, to cross paths in Italy. Yeah, like, that's kind of crazy. Yeah, yeah. So I that, thought it was like some Italian girl. Oh like, no, that'd be wild. They would be psyched. Right, right. <laughs> that's so funny. You bring that up. Big D and the kids table was my number one honorable mention. No it way. Was, it was either it was either them or Dispatch. Oh, that's funny. And now I'm wishing I had done Big D. I would have enjoyed Big D. <laughs> just I to hear them, love, I haven't heard them in a long love time. Love those guys. God, no I've one no live. one cut out that audio. <laughs> just it it isolated. I would have oh. enjoyed Big D. <laughs> <laughs> just, Keeping that forever. Just, just Chris and Chris in, in 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 Chris the Elder's bedroom at 12:30 a.m. I love Big D. Enjoying some Big D. <laughs> yeah, no, man. but uh, I I but love I love those guys. Yeah, they, I remember thinking they were really cool, and I never really followed up on them. But I remember leaving that show being very excited by them. Yeah, you'd probably hate them now. Well, you know, again, it's not hate because I admire musicianship and I admire songwriting and vision and all that stuff. But like, that's not the type of singing I like. Number one, I've heard that before. When for I sure. listen to music, the thing. The two things I notice the most, and we've probably talked about this, but it's the human voice, which mm-hmm. I think is common. Yeah. Like if I'm on board with the voice, I don't even almost, I almost don't care what you're singing. If I like how your voice sounds, um, and number two, the sound of the music, just the sound, the sure. sonic. Again, like I mean, this is all just like the same shit, but like you know, if the drums sound thin and tinny and not organic, I I, I have trouble loving it unless that's actively what you're trying for. Yeah, I want it to sound good. And I don't mean traditionally good. I just mean right, like for the song. This sounds good. Like for Scott, this is good. I think it, okay. it sounds really good. But I think the singing turns me off. And um, 
That's really probably the biggest thing. That's totally fair. You know, the genre, the genre, like, just doesn't generally appeal to me as far as like what they're doing with music. You know, but I do find it, uh, you know, admirable. Cool. Right on. Yeah, I will say the one thing about my list. I don't think I chose a single band with like a good singer. It's an interesting <laughs> thing. You, sh- you very different questionable singers. <laughs> yeah. You know? Seriously. And of the five bands that you played and and we should recap that and everything again. Uh the one I'm most drawn to is the Manchester Orchestra vocally. Cool. You know, vocally. Yeah, that's good. Cuz he can have a very No, actually I love voice. Serge's voice. So I can't really say that. On record Serge is amazing. Yeah. I mean, that's a really cool voice. Yeah. That's why I was first He's drawn to favorite. with the band. You know, yeah, it's so unique. Yeah, so why don't we recap our top five for sure? Absolutely. Talk about some honorable mentions, and then talk about what we learned or did not learn today. <laughs> okay, so Chris, your top five were top five in this order were Dispatch, Rise Against, Manchester Orchestra, System of a Down, and Streetlight Manifesto. That's the list of like an insane person. <laughs> it's not that bad. <laughs> Most of it has crossover, like Rise Against System and Streetlight. That's what I'm saying. But like Dispatch and System being on the same list is really <laughs> funny to me. Dispatch and Streetlight makes sense, I think. I honestly really? think. Oh, because, well, because well, there's yeah, Scott dis- elements. Dispatch like, is a little reggae, yeah, like exactly. white boy rock. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, and the Manchester Orchestra just being the outlier of them all. You know, it's funny because I thought Dispatch was the outlier. But I, I guess, I guess, man, uh, right? They don't rock as much as any of the other bands. So I know what you mean. Yeah, but I see it. Yeah, that's funny. But then Scott, like three different versions of harder, rockier stuff. Yeah. System being like super heavy but quirky, and then mm-hmm. the ska music being kind of like quirky in a different way. Yeah, more like punk driven. Yeah. That. And then Rise Against being, I almost called them against me. That's so <laughs> funny. Not even on purpose. And then Rise Against, you know, being like almost like the most traditional of the rocking bands. Probably. You know. So my five, again, mm-hmm. in order, uh, number five was Granddaddy. Yep. Number four, Elbow mm-hmm. from Manchester. Uh, That's my attempt at a UK accent. You, you really nailed it. Sorry, Richard Monum. Thank you. Really, thank you. Thank you very much. It's my birthday. <laughs> uh, so number four, Elbow. Uh, number three, The National. Mm-hmm. Number two, The Bar Brothers slash The Slip. And number one, Wilco. That's S- a pretty list that makes absolute sense. <laughs> <laughs> it does. Um, There's a very serious theme amongst those five groups. Mm. Uh, what what is that? It's a, it's a lot of quiet indie rock that's incredibly melodic and just masterful songcraft, without being in, you know aggressive or heavy or driving. It's just very indie rock. Yeah, honestly. Like I said, that Ben Queller show in 2002, it's funny how that came up organically about the Palladium and seeing that artist and being like, there's modern people making music like this? I love this music. Yeah. That's why when we first talked about making this list, I it may have been the day that we went to see Weezer, just like you and I just talking off air, like, you know, just talking. And I was like, here's something that I think would be a cool show. And you're like, oh, God. Oh, yeah, we were at that burger restaurant. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. In uh, Hudson, mm-hmm. New York. And you're like, I don't know if I know, like, if I love many new bands. Like, I I don't, nothing even springs. Like, you were like, that's going to be hard, dude. Yeah. And for me, I was like, oh, it's going to be easy for me. It's going to be hard to narrow it down because, like, I've thankfully developed a nose for modern bands that do everything I love about the older bands that I love so right. much. You know, yeah. the Pink Floyds and the Beatles and the sure. Youngs and all totally, that stuff. Totally, totally. And, um, and you hear a lot of all of those artists, but particularly, I think, like, Pink Floyd you know, in Beatles songcraft, like the Sonics of Pink Floyd and Brian Eno, if you knew Brian Eno more, mm-hmm. like 
those things that I love. It's not really complex music. Right. In the obvious way. It's sneaky complex, sneaky which is complex. the other thing like that I'm that. always drawn to. Why don't we talk about things we didn't learn? Things Chris we- likes ska, and I like <laughs> sad bastard music. Yep. That <laughs> just about wraps it up. Hey, man, only one ska band in my bands, though. Yeah, no, that's impressive, for sure. But it was number one. <laughs> what? Let's talk about our honorable mentions for this list. Uh, by my count, you must have seven left over. We talked about one big D in the kids' table. Yeah, that was your number one honorable mention. It was either going to be them or Dispatch. Yep. Okay. Who else did you have on your list? I had, you guessed it, a little band called the Irorontala Trio. Have you ever heard of these guys? No. Okay. They are a modern kind of jazz fusion trio that only released one record. Oh, was this the one you were talking about? Yep. Three Swedish uh, musicians. There is, they're kind of sweet. They're a little bit sweet and slightly Didn't I make that medicinal. Joke? You already have. That's so stupid. <laughs> Jesus. Anyway, the Irontala trio obviously named what for... What did you say? What is the word that you're saying? Iro, I-I-R-O... Rontala, R-A-N-T-A-L-A. Oh, That's an it's a Swedish name. Yeah, yeah. Ira Rontala is the the founder and primary. I'm just um, saying, if someone wanted to seek it out, I, yeah. I, I don't know what you're saying. And I'm saying I know Ira Rontala, I I R O R A N T A L A. Okay. Um, they released one album called Elmo. It is a classically nice. trained and uh, jazz pianist, a crazy wacky like almost Tom Morello like guitarist who's also trained in jazz and improv. And a beatboxer. Hmm. And it's one of the greatest records I've ever listened to. Oh, interesting. To. I love every second of that album. And that was so close, but it only the fact that they only, it was basically a collaboration, and they yeah. released this one album. And I've listened to a ton of Ira Rontala's like, solo stuff. He does tons of collaborations with tons of people. But this is where it's at. But this is like, I mean, it's the best because it's like, you have these awesome hip-hop groups because you have a, a beatboxer. Um, and the guitarist solos and the ability for Eero just to like come up with these melodies in a second. To Eero these melodies. I don't even get it, bro. <laughs> uh, I also put down Jet, The Arrogant Sons of Bitches, Lana Del Rey, Anderson Pack, Green Day, Real Big Fish, and Avid Oh, Brothers. I don't think Green Day just uh, qualifies, actually, because they had Kerplunk and stuff before 94. Yeah, so then they wouldn't qualify. Yeah. But that's okay. I was, I, yeah, yeah. I figured they'd be actually like one of those, like, oh, that was tough not to put on. I know. Funny enough, that was the band that I listened to. It was like, dang, I don't like this as much as I used to. That's funny, right? Yeah. Did you hit them all? Uh, yeah, I sure did. Okay, cool. That's an interesting list. I mean, that like honorable mentions list would have been a much more colorful. Definitely. Especially you know, musical with, with like modern pop, like Lana Del Rey and Anderson Pack. Exactly. Those guys are so amazing. Because I have to say, conspicuous by their absence on this. On our on both of our lists are anyone not white men, you know, like that's I know a little bit disturbing. Uh, even on my all time list, I didn't name one woman, and it's funny because I really love a lot of female artists, but I totally. don't know. I don't know if it's just because you're drawn. Hey to... Hey man, I had Indigo Girls. Yeah, that's right. You had Indigo right Girls and Lana Del Rey, and uh, you know, let me give some love to some of the women who were close. You know, who were in the mix for this list first. Um, a band called Beach House. Mm-hmm. A band called Au Revoir Simone, uh, Fiona Apple, and of course the great Robin, the wow. electropop star. All four of those I would have been happy to talk about, but they just weren't, you know, close enough to my heart to to be in the top five. Uh, my number six, my most 
honorable mention, the one that pained me the most to leave off. Oh, no. Well, here's the thing. The one that probably should have been on the list, quite truthfully, if I'm being like completely honest, but the one I chose not to put on because, one, everyone knows this band, and I thought I would take this opportunity to maybe offer up things that weren't as well-known, by and large. Uh, and two, I just feel a little lame by how much I love them, but I'm happy to own them as my number six right now. Uh, Death Cab for Cutie. Right on. I mean, that's one of my absolute most listened to bands and, and a huge influence. And talk about sonic textures that you love and songwriting that you Heck love. yeah. Guitar tones, drum tones, like everything. Oh, dude, I love Death Cab. Great band, great sound. Uh, you know, their singles are even good, but like singles aside, they've made some of the best records this century. Yeah, plans is next level. Yeah, yeah, you love Plans. I, I, I love, love that one. Plans, Transatlanticism, photo album for me. Cool. Like all three of those just out of this world, especially Transatlanticism. That was like one of my records. So number six, him. Um, and then almost sneaking into the number five slot, a band called Sparkle Horse. Sparkle Horse? Yeah, yeah. A Virginia-based uh, artist, uh, really just a guy, Mark Linkus, who unfortunately uh, took his own life maybe eight years ago at this point. But uh, his music, every record, I think he has four uh, and then some great collaborations with guys like Danger Mouse. Oh wow! And in uh, a lot of different artists, he did. He's done collaborations with Tom Waits and PJ Harvey and Nina Person from the Cardigans and mm. uh, it, awesome, awesome, awesome artist. Uh, heartfelt, heavy, ugly, pretty, everything. That was a tough one to leave off. Okay, I'm just gonna run through these: Cass McCombs, Animal Collective, Damian Gerardo, Kevin Morby. Ben Folds 5, Sufjan Stevens, Sigaros, Elliot Smith, M. Ward, S. Carey, Dr. Dog, and Guster. Nice. You know, honorable mention for sure. They weren't sniffing my top five, but they, no, absolutely definitely as far as five. like time spent listening and, you know, time spent loving, way up there. I could have put, put Guster in there. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was wondering if you would. Because I thought that's the only band we could theoretically overlap on even an honorable mention. Yeah, right. Because <laughs> that's really the, you know, we didn't even overlap. There was no overlap. No, not anymore. The other thing we uh, did not learn was that you and I have very different tastes in music. Right. And that we're lucky we have Weezer. <laughs> <laughs> and that we just both like talking about music. So there's exactly. that. Exactly. Oh, but, yeah. No, yeah. We're lucky that we like each other. Yeah. But like, we're lucky that we are best friends. Yeah. For the purposes of this, of this podcast, we're lucky that Weezer exists because it's the absolute right band to be talking about. It's true. You know? Yeah, definitely. Uh, so this is cool. I feel like I really learned a lot about you today and learned a lot about the music that you love and the music oh. that makes you who you are. Yeah, you too, man. I, I kind of saw it all coming, but I love the bands you showed me. Cool, right on. Definitely not surprised by your musical styles. It all makes perfect sense. Yeah. You know? never hear, ha- having never heard any of these uh, artists before and then relating them to all the music that I've heard you play for me and write, it, it all clicks. Right. For sure. And you know, like an actual critic, right, which we are not that, we're people who talk about music, we're not critics. Correct. Would have felt the need to diversify their lists more. And I'm not saying for like affirmative action reasons. I'm just saying for like to look well-rounded. Yeah. But if we're talking about music that we love. It's going to be pigeonholed. It's going to be a a certain thing. We're drawn to certain sounds. It's just who we are. Exactly. And like, I don't, I don't even have any shame in like owning that. Yeah. Nor should you. Yeah. Nor should you. Like all your bands sound similar, but they're like very different in their own way. But it all, all comes to their own thing. Same as mine. It's like, they might, be technically different genres but it's all that like i'm drawn to heavy melodic music yeah right whatever genre it is those are the, t- the two things so 
You like what you like, man. Yeah. That's how it is. And we'd like to know what you like. Uh, you guys, maybe uh, our listeners can think about their top five artists since Blue and let us know, you know, to send yeah. us emails, tweet at us, you know, all that stuff. Uh, I, I think this is a fun thought exercise, and, and I think it, it proved to be just that, at least for us. And hopefully you guys got something out of it, too. Um, and, and now you have a better sense of where we're coming from musically as we talk about this Weezer music. Exactly. Chris sounds really, really smart and educated, and I am a rude boy. Rude boy. <laughs> um, I'm not even sure what our next episode will be. We have a lot of options, a lot of irons in the fire. It's true. Chris, do you, do you have any preference? We should probably do Death to False Metal first. Good idea. Just let's, as like a as a complete album and entity. Yeah. Okay. Let's do that. That sounds good. You cool. heard it here first, folks. We literally just decided that right now. Yeah, I didn't even know that was on the radar, but yeah, let's do it. Let's Heck fucking yeah. do it. All right, Death of False Metal next, bitches. Suck <laughs> like that. You're like we you- listen to some real metal in this episode, <laughs> so we better not be listening to any false. That's metal. right. Life to true metal. That's right. <laughs> so I guess I'll say uh, this is Chris, and this is Chris, and, and we did not talk wees to thee. Modern. Day.